Christ Central, it is so good to be together once again on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. Let's give our attention to this from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, I'll read it for us. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a historical event. A Jewish man was crucified in Palestine under Pontius Pilate over 2,000 years ago. And then something else happened. Something definitely happened, which at least gave birth to the explosion of Christianity. Jesus, who is popularly known and regarded as an inspirational figure, one of the greatest moral teachers or moral models, one of the top 10 most influential historical figures, maybe a revolutionary political and social the founder of the world's largest and still growing religion. All of these things are superlative. All of these things are true. But Jesus Christ, without his resurrection, is not Christianity. Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an historical event. A Jewish man was crucified in Palestine under Pontius Pilate over 2,000 years ago. And then after his crucifixion, something happened. Something definitely happened, which at least gave birth to the explosion of Christianity. Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus Christ? What did he come to do? He is popularly regarded as an inspirational figure maybe among the best of moral teachers and moral models. Oh, he's a top-notch leader. Maybe he was a social and political revolutionary, a hero of sorts. And he is the founder of the world's largest and still growing religion. But I want to tell you this day, Jesus Christ, without his resurrection, is not Christianity at all. Whatever you can say or believe about Jesus, and you might even highly regard him, use superlative terms for him. Jesus Christ, without being bodily, physically raised from the dead, 
is not Christianity. There are two points of data in history that are undisputed. First, there was an empty tomb. There was an empty tomb. This is not just recorded in the scriptures, but extra biblical sources as well. The body went missing. No one has found the body to this day. So there was an empty tomb. Second, the earliest followers of Jesus believed they were certain that Jesus appeared to them after his death. Two points of data, empty tomb. Second, the earliest followers of Jesus believed Jesus had appeared to them. So N.T. Wright, his magnificent work entitled The Resurrection of the Son of God, says neither of these historical points of data by themselves prove his resurrection, but taken together. When you bring these two facts together, there is no other better explanation for the empty tomb and the earliest followers believing and following after Jesus as the risen son of God, then Jesus actually physically resurrected. There's no other historical explanation, believers or non-believers alike, that make better sense of, can account for, that actually make more sense of these two points of data. You see, if the body of Jesus Christ were stolen or hidden, The disciples just wanted to pull off the greatest fraud in all of history. The question is, why did then they turn around and end up so willing to suffer, persecuted, even give up their lives? So many were martyred, declaring and demonstrating that their lives belong to Jesus now as a risen son of God. Other people might object and try to explain away this resurrection hoax as, well, everyone was on some crazy drug trip. They were hallucinating or they dreamt it up. They just wanted it to happen so much they dreamt it up. But how is it that Jesus appeared to so many different people at different times, different places? Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us there are in his day over 500 living eyewitnesses. You can go ask for yourself, check it out, whether or not these things took place. And then there might be some who say, well, this Jesus Christ never even existed in history. Or maybe he didn't really fully die or expire upon the cross. If that be what you think, there are a lot of people who deny the Holocaust. There are people who say 9-11 didn't happen. There are some people who say this coronavirus is only a scare. It's just all of a hoax. But I tell you, I assure you, these things are historically recorded. They're grounded in space and time. You see, I believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The foundational point, the entire foundation of my Christian faith rests upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. My faith and every Christian's faith is built upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why Apostle Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 15 once again loses it. It's like he loses his mind. He says, if Jesus has not been bodily raised, if someone can recover and show me that decomposing body, he says, our faith is futile. We are all the greatest frauds. We are among the most pitiful people you will ever meet. Our preaching is in vain and we're all going to still die in our sins. And if there's no God, then who cares? So in the Gospels, Mary Magdalene is presented as among the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
She is presented and used to show that the resurrection happened. But here in John's gospel, he presents Mary Magdalene to show how the resurrection can happen to you. Gospel writers typically use Mary Magdalene to show that the resurrection happened in history. John here, his purpose and intention is to show how the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that new resurrection life can actually happen to you. As we look upon Mary, her story maps out your story. Because the Christian gospel is this, that if you meet with the risen Jesus Christ, he raises you too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, anyone who comes, anyone who belongs to and is found in Jesus Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. All those who meet the risen Jesus Christ, you become a new creation in Christ. So the Easter event not only happened in history, but the Easter event can happen to you. Are you ready? First, you come by weeping. There's weeping. There's a lot of weeping. Look at verses 11, 13, and 15. Three times it is repeated and mentioned how Mary Magdalene is weeping outside the tomb on that first Easter morning. See, Mary Magdalene had heard the best of teaching. She had seen miracles firsthand. She heard this Jesus promise things and deliver through on every single thing he ever promised. She had traveled with him. She had followed Jesus for quite some time. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, it tells us Mary was among those who personally invested or financially supported Jesus and his disciples and their ministry. But now he's gone. Now he's gone. There was much weeping then. And of course, so much weeping today. And people will ask, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Basically saying, God is absent. Maybe he does not exist. Or he does not have enough power. A second question that is usually asked is, why does God allow this to happen? Why doesn't he just put it to a stop? Suggesting that God must not be good, but evil. Well, these same questions were actually hurled at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Son of God. And in that first Easter sermon, recorded in Acts chapter 2, Apostle Peter stood up, and here's what he declared. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So do you see here, Peter in that first Easter sermon reveals that all of our weeping, suffering and dying come from our own hands. It's our own doing. We're responsible for it. And at the same time, Peter preached, this was by God's definite plan. God has a definite plan where he can bring life from death. Something better can emerge even after all the weeping. God in his sovereign and full and total control can bring about something better than all the things we have caused by our own hands. See, even in our weeping, even in our dying, and there's been so much of it, 
And even at the dying of God's own son, who claimed to be the son of God, God was right there in the middle of it. Right there in the middle of it. And you see, I don't know all the specific reasons or details of God's definite plan. No Christian person does. But we do know that resurrection is the dominant theme. We do know how it ends. You know, Anthony Fauci has been telling our nation, before it gets better, looking at all the data, looking at some of our models, before it gets better, it's going to have to get worse. We do have to hunker down. We got to stay disciplined. Got to be sacrificial for our neighbor, love of our neighbors. Before it gets better, it's going to get worse. My friends, don't you see God has so much better data? God's plan and projection is definite. And his infinite power, wisdom, and love of being the sovereign Lord and father for his children. Do you not know that he will definitely work all things for good If you're not sure of this, please continue to read. Read the Bible. Read example after example after example. Before it gets better, yes, sometimes it does get worse because of our own doing. Oh, it's reported that more people are Googling about God, life after death, spirituality, religion, right now than ever before. It's always been known that More people attend a church service on Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day is pretty high too, and during a national tragedy. Today we worship on a day we have at least two, two of those occasions. And it seems to me that when Jesus said, I did not come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. It's usually never the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick who cry and groan for a savior. And I do not know of anyone who has yet come to Christ otherwise. I don't know of anyone else who's come to Christ in any other way. A Christian singer by the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman, I love how he puts this. Sometimes he comes in the clouds. Sometimes his face cannot be found. Sometimes the sky is dark and gray. But some things can only be known, and sometimes our faith can only grow when we can't say. So sometimes he comes in the clouds. We come with weeping, we come by weeping, but sometimes this is how Jesus himself comes to you. Second, look at what Mary Magdalene did. She was not only weeping, she was looking, looking. You and I too, we can come with weeping, but as long as you're looking for Jesus, see what happens. John, the author here, we did not read the first 10 verses, describes in the most realistic way. See, it has all the hallmarks of real storytelling. He says on that first Easter Sunday morning, he and Peter, the other disciple Peter, were running toward the tomb. But John goes ahead and says, and he kind of brags about himself, he says, I outran him. John says he was faster than Peter. Stronger, more athletic than Peter. Maybe more earnest and dedicated to Jesus by getting there first. And then John goes on to say he believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead before Peter did. (laughs) Sounds like a rivalry, does it not? Just like a sibling rivalry. I know so many parents and families, one of the struggles you may have is your children and 
students being at home and I've got two teenage daughters and it is sometimes unbelievable, like ludicrous and laughable, the meltdowns that Taylor and Elizabeth can have over the silliest of things because they're siblings. Now, why would John describe himself and his relationship with Peter in this way? Unless it's true. And then in verse 11, we read, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Notice, John had just gone to the tomb. He says he began to believe in Jesus' resurrection. And then what does he do? He just runs away. He leaves Mary Magdalene clueless outside the tomb. Although she becomes the first witness of Jesus has been raised from the dead by saying, I have seen the Lord. Why would John say this? Does nothing for his pride. In fact, for this early movement, it does not add any credibility to have a female witness be the first witness unless it was true. Well, back to Mary Magdalene. On that first Easter Sunday morning, verse one of John chapter 20, she was the first to get up and look. She never went inside the tomb. She was the first to look and also the last to look. But I want to show you, she never looked to find Jesus alive and well, but dead. She said to the angels, she saw and heard talking angels in verse 13. And here's all she had to say. I do not know where they have laid him. See, Mary was not the spiritual type, the gullible type, you know, just kind of wired to be the believing type. Some people say, oh, back in Jesus' day, they're just more prone to believe than we are. Not so. You're not looking at history. Mary Magdalene, in fact, had been demon-possessed, Luke chapter 8 tells us. Demon-possessed by seven. Seven demons. Now, I don't know if that's a figurative number or a literal number. I just know either is not good. And Mary Magdalene, how dark and tormented and broken and hardened she must have been. But it was Jesus Christ who healed and delivered her. See, notice Mary is us. She's just like us. She represents our natural condition. Skeptical, spiritually slow, not prone to believe. She can't even imagine that the resurrection has happened. Nothing in her or about her had prepared her or anyone for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She saw the stone rolled away. Again, she saw and heard angels talk. The clothes lying there. She heard, had heard Jesus repeatedly predict and promise, after three days he will be raised. After three days he will be raised. But never once do you hear Mary Magdalene say, wow, look, he must have done it. He did it. He's alive. Not once, not even close. Only question she can ask of the angels and then to the gardener again in verse 15 was, tell me where you have laid him. <laughs> Don't you hear you? The one thing Mary had going for her, the one thing Mary Magdalene did do right, however, was she just kept looking. She looked and looked and looked. She was the first and the last to look. But even this is more than any of us can really do. Because looking for God happens when God comes looking for you. 
looking happens when God comes looking for you because faith is given. Faith is a gift. So if this morning, suddenly, you are interested, you're intrigued or provoked, you've got questions running through your head about the scriptures, you want some answers, you have a heightened sense of maybe these things could be real. I want to encourage you, please, going down this path. Because faith is given. And the only reason you and I even get to look for God is because God is, has come looking for you. Third, Jesus comes calling. Mary comes weeping and looking. Jesus comes calling. Jesus comes by calling Mary by name. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, which means teacher. When Jesus called her name, Mary finally recognized who Jesus is, and she finally could recognize who she was as well. She fully came into her own, if you will. And Jesus, as commentators would say, was in this transphysical body who could pass through physical barriers, but eat and drink and speak and be touched somehow. And this body was somewhat, somehow suitable for his ascension to the right hand of God the Father and immortality. But when Jesus called out the name of Mary, Mary received a whole new identity and a new purpose in life. And she was never the same. You see, whatever you live for names you. Whatever you are living for, it gives you a name. So if you live for your work, one year, your name might be at the top of the list, the top of your field or industry. But another year, if you live for your work, your name is nowhere to be found. Many of you live for wealth, continual, massive, or fast accrual of wealth. You live for wealth and all the kind of reputation and security and power or name and identity it brings. But again, even your wealth one day can be lost. It can be stolen. It can be defrauded from you. It might tank. And of course, you do know that you can never take all of it with you. You have to leave it all behind. For many of you, you live for love. And maybe there's nothing better to live for than to love and be loved. And you want to be known as the best spouse, the best mother the best sibling, the best friend. But even as you derive your name and identity from how loving you are and how beloved you can be, can I tell you, my friends, you're actually setting your heart up for heartbreak. You know, this past weekend, a dear friend of mine from Gordon-Conwell Seminary gave me a call because his father, who founded Queens Presbyterian Church over there in New York, who had caught COVID-19, and this will probably be the first person closest to me whom I will mourn and grieve and lose over COVID-19. A man of God who will fall asleep but awake in glory the next day. You see, there would be weak, weeping inconsolable if this is the only life, if this is all that we have is this life alone. 
whatever you live for names you. And when Jesus came calling Mary by name, Mary discovered who she had been made to live for all along. This is why in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it reads, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At your worst, nobody loves you more. In your sin, nobody can love you more. And even if you lose or have no love for Jesus, Jesus never changes. Hebrews 13, verse 8, he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is never needy or moody or dependent upon you. And so is his love for you. And if you and I are anxious and afraid or even deathly afraid of death, nobody can love you better than. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 tell us, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, the love of Jesus outlasts death itself. The love of Jesus puts death to death and his love can never be taken away. You can never be separated from the love that is in Jesus Christ. I'd like to share with you the story of grace from our recent membership class of a dear gal who shared that she grew up in a household with an alcoholic father and he would come home sometimes parked halfway up the curb one point had to be picked up from jail with her mom threatened and looked like he was going to hurt her mom and so she had to get in the way and beg him not to held him back her mom then of course almost wanted to leave but she was held back again by her begging daughter. There's a lot of, as you can only imagine, weeping and begging here. Well, she goes on to share that she remembers countless times on her knees with her mom praying for her dad. See, they went looking. And in junior high, by God's grace, her dad agreed to go to a retreat. It was called Tres Dias, Three Days, I do recall it. It had an incredible impact on my own parents here in the L.A. area. And after the retreat, he came back no longer the same. He was a changed man, no longer a drunk or abusive man. She testifies. She knows that God had revealed himself to her dad, and he received salvation, a new life from God in Jesus you and I, you come weeping and looking. That's maybe all you can do. See how Mary came weeping and looking. But don't you see how Jesus came weeping and looking for her? Mary even stuck around to get to see Jesus. But actually, it was Jesus who stuck around to see her. Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first. But Jesus recognized her and called her out by name. She got it wrong. Jesus got it all right. In that famous hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found. This is the story of any and every person who ever comes to Jesus Christ and resurrection happens to you.
Jesus died for sins and his resurrection is the first fruits. It's the first fruits. It's the public demonstration and promise by God that just as God raised his son from death, he will raise Mary too and he will raise anyone and everyone he calls by name from physical and eternal death once and forevermore. His resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus means for the Christian, all things in the past, even evil, will be turned for good. All good things can never be lost. And your best days lie ahead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means for his Christian child. All things will turn for good. Anything good you've ever had will never be lost and better and best days lie ahead. So this morning with me, can you hear Jesus calling your name? Is he calling for you? Has Jesus come for you? And is he summoning you to come to him? If so, this is a gift. This is a gift of faith. All you have to do is turn repent, turn toward him, call on the name of Jesus who was raised from the dead and he, his life, his resurrection power, his newness will come rushing into yours. The old will pass away and the new has come. It is amazing that you and I get to look for Jesus, but more amazing still, that Jesus is the one who came looking for you. He came looking for you. He calls you by name. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this glorious day where we celebrate the historic event of your son being raised from death. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would call many more this day by their names. And that we would gladly, humbly respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Son of God, to give us new life for the old life. To give us a never-ending life to replace a dying life. Lord, may you bring this life, this love, a hope invincible to my friends, even as we pray. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.